only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Now, if you will uh, join me in the, uh, in the reading of the uh, passage this morning, it's found in uh, Psalm 113, Psalm 113, which is on page 510 of your pew Bibles, page 510, Psalm 113. The word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray ask the Lord to bless his word in our time together. Father, grant us grace to love what you love. Because we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> let, me, uh, let me set the scene for you. Let me take you back to 1977. Fourth grade at Greenwood Elementary School. Recess is let out. And i got to put you on the etiquette of recess for kickball in fourth grade at Greenwood Elementary School. If you got the coveted position of being the captain who got to pick, who were you going to pick first? I'm going to tell you who you were going to pick if you were in fourth grade at Greenwood Elementary School in 1977. You were going to pick Michael Snowden. Because Michael Snowden was a freak of nature for a fourth grader. He was unbelievable. Michael Snowden could always make that little red ball leave the park. Even the gym teacher, who in 1977 had those horrible spandex shorts that were too short and too tight that gym teachers wore back then, even he could not put a corkscrew bouncing ball in Michael Snowden's way that he could not get a foot on and make it leave the park. If you were going to pick, you were going to pick Michael Snowden. Why? Michael's a winner. <laughs> like, you're going to pick Michael Snowden because Michael wins. He knows how to win. Michael was the power broker of the fourth grade. And that's who you'd pick. Who are our cultural heroes? Now, look, if you love sports and you love golf, you look at someone like Phil Mickelson who can do things with a wedge that I will only dream of. 
And you stand in awe. And if you're like me, there are Saturdays where you find yourself standing in front of the television set, screaming out loud to no one in particular of the glory of a shot that someone like Phil Mickelson's made. Now, maybe your deal is investments and you think Warren Buffett is the cat's meow and you stand in your office and scream about Warren. I, you know, I don't know what it is that kind of you boast in. You know, if it's basketball, it's LeBron and his crazy abilities. Who do you respect? The Bible gives us all kinds of reasons for why we should boast about God. All kinds of reasons. Okay, you know, his creative power, his strength, his knowing all, his controlling all things, his amazing, all those things. There's all kinds of reasons that the Bible gives. We could go on and on. There's a myriad. But this psalm takes us in a very strange direction as to why we should boast about God, praise Him, kind of give glory to His name. And let's just establish a couple things out of this psalm. The first thing is, it's fairly obvious, the first three verses, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, is, is that there's a command from the psalmist to the people of God who are worshiping, and that's fairly easy, it's to praise God. Now that word, praise, in this text, is this language of boasting, kind of this loud, vociferous, rowdy boasting in God. That's the language that he's giving off here, the psalmist. And it's fairly inclusive, isn't it? I mean, if you look down from this time forth and forevermore, that's fairly inclusive from now to the other end of the pole of time. It's inclusive language. Uh, verse 3, from the rising of the sun to the setting, beginning of one day to the end of the day. Okay, you get it. He's pretty certain that what his direction for you and I to do is to boast in God. Now, look. You may be sitting here this morning and you're not really sure as to whether or not you believe the God of the Bible or whether or not He's worth boasting about. And I'm glad you're here. That's fine. Um, it may sound kind of silly to you. I think that's okay at this point too. You may not have a reason in your own mind to praise the God of the Bible. You may not have conviction about that. That's okay. What I want you to do is I want you to let the Bible speak for just a few minutes to you today about the different MO that God uses to draw praise from His people. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be a long-time follower of Jesus and the idea of praising God seems fairly hollow. And we have been there. And again, let the Bible just speak for just a few minutes this morning. The command is clear. Boast in this God. And he takes you in verses 4 through 7, and really, 4 is just kind of this. He's practicing what he preaches. He starts talking about the glory of God. This God who is on high, and if you look down, it says he's high above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. And then 5 through 6 is really just a question. Who is like this God? Okay, think of the language. The psalmist says, praise God, this God, high above all the nations. God is the ultimate power broker. He is high above all. He's above all the nations. There's no one like Him. We did that this morning in the, in the catechism. Right? There's no idol that we should worship. There's no one like God. It's this idea of God, this regal God sitting far above everything. Who is like this God? That's the question the psalmist is asking. Who is like Him? And... My, my freshman year of college, um, I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank because this girl in high school got me a job. 
I appreciate him. Her dad was one of the executive vice presidents. And one day, and I was a peon. I was working for the call center, customer service, all the angry people. And one day this man calls in and says, son, I want a $25,000 credit limit on my credit card, which back then was the highest thing that Chase offered on this card. And I said, sir, you know, I'm looking at my sheet. What am I supposed to do in this situation? The protocol says I need proof of your income. And there's this hollow laugh on the other end of the phone. And he says, son, look down at the name there on your screen. <laughs> said Frank Nathan. Son, have you ever heard of Nathan's Hot Dogs? Why, yes, sir. I, I love Nathan's Hot Dogs. <laughs> right? I love them. Son, that's me. Well, congratulations. I, very good. Son, if I don't get $25,000 on my card by the open of business tomorrow, I'm pulling every dollar I have in Chase out of your bank. Do you understand me? And there's this great moment. He says this great thing. He says, now, son, look, I know you're nobody. It's true. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. I know you're a call center guy, but go tell your supervisor. Yes, sir. I got it. I'm off. Hang up the phone. Go tell her. My boss didn't do anything. <clears throat> so the next morning, I get a call through the little earpiece. All right, Mr. Berger, the bank president would like to see you on the 27th floor. <laughs> okay, so you take that lonely ride up to the 27th floor. The door's open. It doesn't look at all like my floor with cubicles. That 1980s dark paneled wood, high executive world. Walk down the hall, the lady seated at the desk says, Mr. Berger, the president will see you now. Okay, you walk in, it literally is like the movies. It's this long conference room, dimly lit at the far end. There are five men in power suits. Have a seat, Mr. Berger. Okay, as I'm walking up, this funny thing clicks in my head. I don't know why I think I'm about to get fired, but this is the funny thought that clicks in my head. You know, I don't get invited to lunch with these guys. <laughs> these guys walk in a different world. These are the power brokers of the bank. Now, look, it is rude and crude to kind of compare God to a, an executive of a bank. But every human idea will fail who is like God? I do not mean to be crass. If he wore a suit, it would be a power suit. If he had a tie, it would be a power tie. God is the ultimate power broker. He is above all. Who is like him? How will you boast in this God? Now listen, who do power brokers go to lunch with? Other power brokers. Who is like this God? Why should you boast in this God? And here it is. This is what the psalmist is saying to you today. That the reason you and I should boast in the God of all heaven and earth, the reason that you and I should boast in the mighty King of all glory, is because He loves to have a team of the weak. He loves to hook his wagon to the poor and the helpless. He loves to associate with the marginalized and the loser. You should boast 
and glory and be loud for the King of heaven and earth because He loves the loser and the weak. That's why you should boast of Him. That's what the psalmist is saying. Four through six is a question. And the answer to the question is in this. Who is like God? Praise Him. Why in the world should you praise this God? Who is like this one? Who loves the weak? Why should you boast in God? He loves the poor. And he gives you two examples. In verse 7 he says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. And then in verse 9, he talks about barren women, how he gives barren women a home and makes her the joyous mother of children. Now these two examples are huge. You've got to understand them a little bit. Verse 7 is this poor from the dust, raising the poor from the dust and lifting the needy from the ash heap. What he's saying is, is that if, you, if he was going to raise the poor from the dust, who are people who live in the dust? It's people who have no floor for their home. And then you have rocks. They lived in the dust. He raises the poor out of the dust. What is the ash heap? Okay, in the ancient times, in the ancient Near East, and even through kind of medieval times, You didn't have waste management that came around and picked up your trash with a cute little claw. What you did was you you took your garbage, you carried it outside the city gate, and you dumped it on the trash heap. And it would stink. And it would be nasty. And you took your trash out there because if you didn't, your home would stink. And disease would spread. So you took all, everybody in the city would take their garbage out there and dump it. And every so often when the pile got big and stinky, they would light it on fire. And so for God to lift the needy off the ash heap is for God to lift the poorest of the poor because there were people who would go and scrounge among the ashes of the burned up trash for anything they could find. God sides with the poor. And it's the economically poor that He's speaking of here. God has a special favor for the poor. God tends to work redemptively away from the sources of power. God does His most active work away from the centers of power. That's where He loves to place His favor. Now listen. Where is the church of Jesus thriving in the world? The church is declining in Europe. And sadly, it's declining in the the United States. You know where the church is thriving and growing the most? It is in Africa and South America, where the poorest of the poor are. Now look, are we saying that God doesn't give grace to middle class and upper middle? No, I'm not saying that God doesn't give grace to us. But He loves to favor the poor. The other example is the barren woman. And he loves to take the barren woman and give her a home and make her the joyous mother of children. And this example is very important in this way. If you were barren in those times, there was no hope for your future. 
The way you secured hope for your future and your life and your livelihood was to have a lot of children. The more children you had, the more chance you had of actually leading an okay life. If you had no children, if you were barren, the only thing that you had to look forward to oftentimes was poverty and being destitute. And Tim Keller, when he, when he talks about this, he quotes Brueggemann, who's this theologian, he says this, he says, when you see barrenness in the Bible, it's actually an analogous phrase for hopelessness. Because if you were barren, it brought a hopelessness to your life that you could not fix. Why should we boast in God? Because God loves the team of the hopeless. He loves to raise them up. The Bible is chock full of these people. The marginalized. Right? Look, look at every hero in the Bible. He takes those who were kind of ingrates and inglorious. He takes people who are the weak. In the Old Testament times, the strong, the powerful was the firstborn child. Look at the Bible. All the examples are from the last or the second. Right? Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. David, he's this ruddy little fat, unattractive, wimpy runt guy. He's the one that God lifts up high. He's the one that God lifts up high. The least of these. Hannah. Sarah. Right? He's attracted to brokenness. He's attracted to hopelessness. He's attracted to weak and poor. And for some of you, that is good news this morning. That God favors the weak. Some of you need to hear and be very encouraged by the fact that God hooks His wagon to your star. Because for some of you here, the dollars do not add up. And you don't know how they will. For some of you have tried everything you can in your marriage and you see no way out towards a happy ending. For some of you, your children have made decisions that make you weep night after night after night. And you don't know a way to fix it. And you've tried everything you can. For some of you, The doctors have said that there is really nothing else that we are going to do and there is little hope that the world will provide you. There is little answers that medicine will give you. And this is what you know. God favors the weak. He comes to the needy. He lifts up the broken. He attends to the poor. He speaks the kind word of grace to those who have not. You know, by way of just a quick application, let me just say, if you're young, you're in school, you know, either preschool and you think about playgroups, or or if you're in elementary school, if you're still in here, and you have those table groups that you sit at, and there's always that kid that gets left out. Or middle school, which is the most ruthless time in the history of mankind, where the teasing is beyond cruel. 
Or if you're in high school, where quite frankly, the pressure to be cool is so overbearing. Let me just give you a good word of caution. Please, don't make fun of those whom God honors. He loves the weak. Don't poke jokes at those who God sees as glorious. He loves the weak. Brian Habig, who used to be an RUF campus minister, said this. He said, you knew that God was blessing RUF. And I think I've said this before here. When the kind of student who cannot make it socially in any other ministry can thrive in your ministry, that's when you know God is blessing your ministry. And I would say you know that God will bless Fort Worth Prez when the people who are thrown on the trash heap of other of this world's sense of cool can thrive here and make it here and find hope here and community here and love here and thrive here. And it's worth asking, can we sup with the poor and the weak without being embarrassed by them? I think that's just a fair question. Now look, this is strange. We're okay with God for loving the poor and the weak because in some ways it taps into this notion that we love kind of pity. We we love God to be for those people. And that's, that's actually a good thing. We're glad for that. We love that God loves the weak and the poor just as long as we're not the weak and the poor. Go, God, love the weak and the poor. Just don't let it be us. Our whole lives are taught... To run away from weakness. I'm going to give you one example that will mow you all down. You ready? It's the suburban house mom. You have been told your entire life, thank you to a myriad of different things, some of it feminism, some of it all kinds of things, but you have been told that what your life is supposed to be in America is effortless perfection. You're supposed to have a beautiful home. You're supposed to be loving to your husband. We ought to be able to walk in and it ought to look like southern living every moment of every day. You're supposed to be at the gym five days a week and your body's supposed to look like it's 18 when you're 55. Oh, and if you're a Christian and you're in church, you're supposed to be this breezy, easy one who prays all the time and always encourages people and is always up and is never down and is always seen in the best light. And you're supposed to do it without breaking a sweat. That's the message that is sent to you culturally. It's supposed to be easy. And it's a lie. And thank God, God loves those who need grace. This is good stuff for us. And poor financially, is not so much our neighborhood. But really, don't you know that in our culture where image is everything, if I can be so cold-hearted to say it like this, uncool is the cancer we want to stay away from the most. Like if anyone is uncool in our culture, not with it, we kind of have that Kind of back up and back away from the conversation thing. Because that's what we're taught. Run with the big dogs. 
That's not God's mode of operation. By the way, if you're not financially poor or you're not hopeless, this is true. You are poor spiritually. Because there's no other way into the grace of God than knowing your poverty. Look at the old hymns we sing. This is what we believe. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Why? Joined with pity, full of power. He is able. It is God who is able to reach down into the darkness and weakness of our souls and lift us up. We are the poor. And thank God, Jesus has attached His wagon to our star. He favors the weak. And that is hard. Look, that is hard for middle class and upper middle class Americans to grasp. It's not in our DNA. We have been taught one thing our whole life. Work hard, play hard, achieve hard. Now, I'm not saying that that is wrong, that we're told to work hard. But we have been bred that if you work hard, you can achieve anything you want. Our country is founded on self-reliance. And upper middle class people have a hard time. We've watched our parents work hard to make a better life for us. Spiritually, it's no different. We like religion that is sprinkled with self-help. We like a God who gives us a helping hand. We have a hard time loving and drawing our hearts close to and boasting in a God who speaks to us about real depravity and real sin and real lostness and real hopelessness and real condemnation. We have a hard time really clinging to a God who reached down and says that I will give you radical atoning grace that will draw you up from the pit of hell and the only thing that you bring to me is your sin. That is hard for upper middle class achieving Americans to stomach, which is why the gospel is have a hard time in the United States right now. It's thriving in the places where people are weak and poor. The kind of religion that can-do Americans want is not this, but grace is good to those who know that they are poor and weak. Good. And it's bigger than that. It's not just that Jesus and the Father favor the poor. It's that Jesus and God have entered into poverty themselves. He does not just favor the weak. He becomes the weak. This is the mode of operation of Jesus. He is the ultimate example of one who not just favors it, but identifies with it. He didn't redeem through power. He redeemed through weakness. That's the upside-down nature of the gospel. right? And the thing that screams in our head is, losers don't win, they lose. But that's not true with God. We're told by the psalmist again and again and again that we should worship Him, that we should boast in Him. And we should boast in Him because He favors losers, because He Himself became a loser. He became weak. To win. He wins by losing. He had no home. He owned no home. He had no place to lay his head. He was despised by men, rejected, scorned, mocked, spit on, flogged, crucified, suffered the pains of hell. 
rejected and condemned by His own Father in heaven. Jesus was taken outside the city and crucified on what the Old Testament right, speaks of in terms of His own condemnation. Gehenna, the Old Testament language of Sheol, of hell, is actually a language for the garbage dump. Jesus Himself goes to the garbage dump, to the incinerate, to be condemned, to suffer the condemnation of God. To go to ultimate weakness and ultimate loss and ultimate losing that He might be raised up. Because by losing, He brings grace and mercy and forgiveness. By losing, Jesus raises up His people. By losing, Jesus makes us to sit with princes. The power politics that God uses is the politics of weakness. Because in weakness, He brings victory. Now, look. Let me do one more thing. If that is true, if we boast in God because He favors weakness, because He picks the weak those, the weak side, the poor, to be on His team, it says something about the way we operate as the people of God in the world. Let me caution us when we begin to think that the way we market Fort Worth prayers is by slickness and cool schemes, that won't work. What works, what brings glory, what brings boasting to God is bringing and loving weak and poor, siding with the weak and poor. That's what does it. That's how the church thrives. Historically, that has been the way that the church thrives. Um, if you had been in fourth grade in 1977 and picked me first if you were the captain, you'd have gotten laughed off the playground. Let me help you put it in perspective. When I was 15 and a freshman in high school, I wrestled 98 pounds. Now, if you extrapolate back to fourth grade, that means I was what, like 48 pounds? I could barely get the ball to the pitcher's mound. You would never pick me. But praise God. Who is like the King of heaven and earth? Who is like the God of all glory? Who reaches down and lifts up the broken and attends to the needy and the poor and the weak and the hopeless and the sorrowful and those who are in need of real, good, loving, radical grace. And the weak in our midst who love God say, what do we say? Amen. Amen. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have made us Your people. You've made us with gifts and talents. You've made us with good business minds. You've made us with good skills. You've made us with good talents. You encourage us to use those things. Lord, thank You that You even help us to have success in this world. You give us grace. But thank You that You favor the weak. And You love the poor. Thank You that one of the strange reasons that You call us to boast in You is because You are so different from anyone else in this world. Thank You, God, that You love us. Because we are what Your Word describes. We need that kind of mercy. We need that kind of grace. Give it to us, Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would help people this morning to know that this is a God who they can worship. Thank You, Lord, for loving us in all our weakness. And we give You thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?